0: Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Striebeck. Welcome again. In the words of the great, uh, the late great, Billy Joe Shaver, so you know this song, I'm going to live forever, I'm going to cross that river, I'm going to catch tomorrow now. You remember that? Such a great, I love that song, I'm going to live forever, I'm going to cross that river. It's such a vote of confidence for life that must have more than just what we see in the here and now. And sometimes our poets and our songwriters and our artists and our screenplay writers and these kind of people, they remind us of this. Some Pixar films remind us that we want to live forever. We want to live forever. We want to cross the river. Show us what we need to do so that we can live forever. It is a built-in longing that every person has, and we believe as Christians that that is a good thing. It is a good and proper longing that is inside of us, each and every one of us, to live and to thrive and to enjoy life forever. We learn early in the scriptures the way that we do that is by enjoying God forever. And isn't it wonderful that God creates us this way, that our economy of relating to God is one of desire and longing, that we follow our longings. We don't try to suppress our longings, but we respond to them, and we take them to their source, who is God. And we know, of course, that That's the good news, and the bad news came along quickly, and the bad news is everywhere that we look early in our story, the way, uh, the ability, the opportunity for us to live forever has now been blocked to us. Do you remember the Garden of Eden and the Tree of Life? It was this tree of promise that we could eat from and live forever. We could walk in the garden in the cool of the day and commune with God and talk back and forth to God as we're talking to one another this morning. Living forever in the Garden of Eden was a real option, and it was the intention of God's creation. Then there was the fall in chapter 2, and the implications of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, and we are run out of the garden. We are cast out of the garden. You remember east of Eden, we're sent away. We're driven from the garden. And Genesis tells us that after sending them out, the Lord God stationed the mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. So we, for the first time in our history, found ourselves on the outside looking in. We were estranged from the presence of God. There were these fierce angels and this flaming sword that's guarding the tree of life. There was the promise that we were going to eat and live forever. So the way to the tree of life, the promise that we could eat and live forever, was gone. It was blocked for us. There was a veil where there was just open pasture before. And yet we continue to long for that food, and we can't find it. We look everywhere, and we can't find it. So we come to terms with this as human beings, and we sort of just accept that we won't live forever. We say it all the time, right? Everybody dies, got to die sometime. And uh, we learn to accept that. We accept that there's a veil, that our way back to the tree of life has been blocked. Life is short, we say, and then we fill in the blank. You know, it's Nike. Life's short. Play hard. Uh, Or we say other things. You know, you only live once, so live it up now, or whatever expression that we say. And we try in vain to recreate a Garden of Eden for ourselves. And out of All of our agrarian pursuits, this one is the most frustrating. This is more frustrating than trying to grow cotton in Nolan County in 2021, which is, I can't imagine, extremely frustrating. But this is the most frustrating because we look around and we affirm that bad things happen to good people. Children die. Hard workers go broke. Covenants are torn apart by selfishness. This is the life that we are most familiar with. And so in the text that was read for us this morning in John's gospel, Jesus comes along and he says something shocking. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Can you imagine the anticipation and the promise in the synagogue? You know, there were a few people that were going, what? Live forever? We haven't heard that in a while. Uh, we, we didn't know that that way was, was back yet. We'd heard there was a Messiah. We heard maybe, maybe someday there would be a way for us to go into the Holy of Holies, but we haven't seen it yet. And Jesus just says it as casually as we're talking to each other today. I'm the bread of life. And if you eat this bread, you will live forever. And the promise is back. The hope is back. And people are going, Okay. Well, that's what's at stake. Now we know what we're working with here. We know what we stand to gain or to lose. Could this really be? I mean, has it really been paved a way for us to find our way back into the possibility of living forever? Is there a way to cut through the flaming sword and the angels that are guarding the tree of life? Is there a way for us to get back there? And so we know the stakes now. And most of us, if we haven't suppressed the longing too much... We notice a growing hope in our hearts as they leap, and we say together, show me then what I have to do. And even for those of us that have lost and we just can't see the desire, it's disconnected, or the folks that haven't come this morning because they wonder what is the point, and they're frustrated, and they haven't seen God, and they, they're upset with what's going on in the world, and there's blame of God, and God seems distant, even for us in those moments. There's a glimmer of hope in the words of Jesus, and all of our hearts dance when we hear the Gospels read and we hear Jesus' words, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So what, what, what do we need to do to get in on this? So <clears throat> then and now, the responses vary to what in the world this means that we're supposed to do to get back in on the tree of life and live forever that we could eat something and then live forever the the responses vary you'll notice in the text that john tells us the people begin to argue actually there's a better word they begin to fight have you all ever seen a synagogue fight uh, i haven't seen a synagogue fight but i've seen some church fights and they're usually not pretty you know it's people arguing just shouting at each other going no this is what he means no this is what he means no he has to mean this no he must mean this he's referring to this. No, he's referring to that. And they're screaming at each other. And uh, one biblical scholar says, you know, is it too much to imagine that maybe there's a foreshadowing here about all of our disagreements about what Holy Communion is? (laughs) And I don't think so. I don't think it's too much to say that. We still argue about it, right? And it's a very holy and important thing. So it's worthy of a good argument. But as you might imagine, the responses vary to this invitation. I mean, uh, I, I almost wanted to apologize to our scripture readers when we read passages like this because it's just, it's just funny to say it out loud. Um, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you it's like, like, that's a fun Sunday school lesson for, for, our, for our little ones. Like, what? What are you talking about? Now, the people weren't arguing about They knew it wasn't cannibalism. I mean, they knew it was a spiritual reference. But it's just a crazy thing to say. <laughs> and it's a crazy thing for us to hear. It's just not natural. I mean, unless you ex- access this by faith, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. So there's some eating and some drinking of the flesh of the Son of Man that we must do to get in on this eternal life. So what in the world does this mean? So, of course, in the history of interpretation, you have some scholars that say, oh, this is all about Holy Communion. This is John's version of the words of institution. He's setting it up. It's the season of Passover. Everybody's hungry for bread. Everybody's talking about manna, and boom. This just means we need to get on this meal, and this, We don't miss a chance to take Holy Communion. If you can take it every day, take it every day. Don't miss a shot at it, and that's one, one side. Another line of interpretation came along during the Reformation. They're going, forget about communion. It's not about communion. This is about believing in Jesus. This is about believing in the Son of Man. And by doing so, where this this metaphor is extended, and we are feasting on the Word, right? We're we're feasting on the Scriptures. We're hearing the Word of God. We're getting into this life by way of belief. And so thereby, we are eating and drinking uh, the flesh and the blood of the Son of Man. And so, um, you know... Which way do we go? And like many things that start out with arguments that way, uh, there are always people that come along and say, well, why isn't it both? (laughs) Why can't it be both? Why can't it be a great invitation to Holy Communion and the reminder that there's always life in the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ, that we don't have to wonder if Jesus is here, but when we receive this by faith, it's a sheer gift. And why can it also not be, in the context of this passage, a great reminder of the invitation to believe in Jesus because you can go, as Augustine said, you can go unwillingly to church, you can give unwillingly an offering, you can take communion in an unwilling fashion, but you cannot believe unwillingly. That's something only we can do with our own will and our own volition to attach ourselves to the promise and the reality of the passion of Jesus Christ and his subsequent resurrection and ascension. That's what we're up to. So the crowd was fighting about it. We're still fighting about it. I just think it's a great call to do both. You know, I don't miss a chance. So John Wesley said that, the founder of Methodism, he was like, I will take Holy Communion as often as I can. If I'm walking by a church and they're offering, I'm going to take it. If I could take it every day, I will. If I'm on my horse and I'm out in the middle of nowhere, I probably won't be able to. But if I'm, if I'm around, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And then also we know that we get in on the life of Jesus through belief. John's gospel is saying nothing if he doesn't say that. Believe, 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 believe. Approach me by faith. The passion of Jesus, uh, his suffering and his death, is, and his resurrection is reenacted in our communion together. In that way, we're participating in this reenactment of those events. And what happened? You know, Paul said uh, that every time we receive Holy Communion, we take communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And we're announcing the death of Jesus and the subsequent victory of Jesus every time we do that. And so there's an invitation for us to communicate in the passion. We, we talk about, um, we call people who are receiving communion communicants. That's where our word communication is the same root. And so we are communicating together and we are communicating with Jesus when we are receiving Holy Communion. That's why we're called communicants in that way. And I love what Augustine is writing in uh, the fourth century. I love what he says about this text in approaching Holy Communion and approaching the Scriptures. Listen to what he says. We treasure in our memories the reality that for our sakes, Jesus was crucified and pierced. He says, believe and you have eaten. Isn't that great? Treasure in our memories the reality that for our sake, Jesus was pierced and he, and he died. We treasure that in our memories. Next time we receive communion, which is gonna be in just a minute, treasure in our memories what has been done for us on the cross. We receive it with grateful hearts, right? And, of course, Paul gives the caveat that we should not eat or drink in an unworthy manner. Uh, Augustine points this out, too. He says, you know, it is possible to receive a good thing in an evil way. And that's where we get off track. But it's not the problem with the gift. It's the problem with the reception. So he says Judas, for example, uh, it wasn't because the, the, Jesus gave him bread and wine and that was the problem. It was that Judas received it with the wrong heart, that there was evil in his heart. And so that's when the scriptures tell us that the devil entered into him, right? Right after he received the, bl- the bread and the wine. And so Augustine says, hey, that's no problem, though. No. We just need to remember to receive this in a worthy manner. And we receive it uh, and we've confessed our sins and we receive with open hearts, then it's a good gift that has good effects. He says the, the sacrament of Holy Communion is one thing and the virtue of the sacrament is another. So what's happening at Holy Communion is one thing, and then the way that we're receiving it and the way that it's working, that Jesus is using that through the Holy Spirit to transform us, that's another. So whether it works good in us or not depends partially on our reception, even though we know uh, that God is faithful to meet us here at the table. One final observation about this text. Uh, that I never noticed before. And that is that Jesus is, I mean, he's been saying the word eat, eat, eat over and over again. And it's just the normal Greek word for eating. So that makes sense. That's what we would expect. It's phagein, And so phagein is said over and over again, eating, eating, eating. Then when you get to verse 54, and until you finish verse 58, there's a different word For eating, okay? So just like we, if you've ever raised kids, you know, we say different things for the way that they eat, right? When my kids make fun of me for how I eat, they don't say eat. They'll say something like, hey dad, you wolfed down your food or whatever, right? So um, there's another Greek word, trogain. And trogain is a word that is in Greek literature used to describe how animals eat. And how do animals eat, right? There's all this percussion and there's all this movement. If you're here watch a horse eat, it's like the lips are coming together and it's like a bass sound. And then there's a treble sound as they tear the grass. Uh, You watch a cow eat and, of course, she's eating and gathering all the grass that she can and she's chewing her cud. She's chewing it over and over and over again. There's a rumination that's happening. That's not to mention the carnivores that are just sitting there, the coyote all night that's just gnawing on Whatever he is caught. So there's this way that animals eat, and it's just this ongoing thing. Uh, in fact, the word meditation in the Psalms, in the Hebrew Scriptures, like blessed is the man uh, who meditates on God's law day and night, that word meditate is the word for it's, it's like a dog chewing on its bone. It's a gnawing kind of uh, gnawing. So it's hard to say from the pulpit. You hear my accent coming out, gnawing. <laughs> or You're gnawing on something, right? You're, you're chewing on it, and you're wrestling with it. And I thought, you know, of all the things that are said about this passage, I think this is helping us get at the heart of what's going on. Jesus is saying there is a life that is promised to you. There is a potential of living forever, not just later, but now. Right? They will have eternal life now, and then Jesus says, and I will raise them up on the last day. So we have life now, and we have life later, and the way we get in is through this eating, through this chewing, this gnawing, this wrestling, this meditating, this contemplating the Word of God. We contemplate the sacrifice of Jesus in Holy Communion. We contemplate the recognition of Jesus in the poor We learn to see the real Jesus, not the Jesus that the culture gives us, not the therapeutic Jesus that just pats us on the back and says, you know, it's all going to be okay, let's just sit together in a circle, not, not the distant father Jesus that just sort of is not emoting and doesn't engage and just kind of sitting on the sidelines, not the over-masculine Jesus, but the Jesus that is re- revealed to us in the scriptures, the beautiful, fierce, holy Jesus who gives his life for us. That's the Jesus that we see. His broken, his glorified body. I want to read to you a, a poem from Gerard Manley Hopkins uh, from over 100 years ago. And uh, I was telling my girls last night. I said, you know, when all else fails and you're just having trouble just really wrapping your mind and your heart around something, you go to your favorite poets. That's always a safe thing. Your favorite songwriters, your favorite poets, and Gerard Manley Hopkins is one of mine. And he has a way of seeing things that helps me see Jesus. So I want you to hear these words from uh, Pied Beauty and just as a kind of a portal, kind of a, a way of looking through the telescope to see what God is up to Hopkins says, Glory be to God for dappled things, for skies of couple color as a brindled cow, for rose moles all in stipple upon trout that swim, fresh fire, coal, chestnut falls, finches' wings, landscape plotted in peace, fold, fallow, and plow, and all trades, their gear and their tackle and their trim. All things counter, original, spare, strange. Whatever is fickle, freckled, who knows how with swift, slow, sweet and sour, a dazzle and dim, he fathers forth whose beauty is past change, praise him. He fathers forth whose beauty is past change. That is the Jesus that we see. His beauty his past changed. His beauty is eternal. His beauty is ever before us in his witness, in the scriptures, in holy communion, and in the faces of the poor. And our call has always been as Christians to behold this Jesus. And by beholding and believing and receiving these gifts, we together eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man. And we join him in the movement from brokenness and death to healing and life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.